1: Sometimes, when we're facing severe challenges, we tend to believe that no one else has it quite as rough. And yet, if we can objectively view the situation of others, we quite often learn that we are more fortunate than we realize. Last summer, I had the opportunity to interview three people who live in Kenya. And while I was very concerned about how the pandemic was affecting my life here in the United States, I learned some very interesting facts about what it was like in other places. I learned a lot from Anita, Lydia, and Dominic. Search for their names and you'll be able to find their complete interviews recorded last summer. But I wanted to share just a synopsis of some of their challenges, just to be reminded that we have a lot to be grateful for, and we can bless ourselves and others by reaching out to those who need more support. So Anita talks about the unique challenges of women and girls in Kenya and something as simple as sanitary supplies which we never saw any lack of we may have there may have been a run-on toilet paper but as far as I knew we never had to worry about having adequate sanitary supplies for women and her efforts with the program days for girls I've included her link if you feel inclined to support that very worthwhile program. Lydia talks about the challenges she faced as a school teacher and the needs she saw for the families there. And Dominic shares some of his efforts as a social worker and how he has a long-term vision for how people in Kenya and in his rural community can be helped. Forgive the recording we were interviewing between the United States and Kenya. Internet connection wasn't always the best, but be patient, listen, and you'll learn a lot about life in Kenya.
0: So uh, this for information uh, started in the year 2016, when uh, when I was still uh, when I had gotten involved with the humanitarian team from the U.S. and we were when we started working with families, we were experiencing so many other things. We were getting uh, so many other challenges just apart from food and education. And the most um, uh, big issue that was coming back to us every time I go visiting a family was how do we support their daughters or the girls out there in providing them with a sustainable uh sanitary supply because most families uh, live within a, a dollar per day and that one dollar a day can provide them with only food they want extra money to be able to buy sa- sanitary supplies for their girls so the biggest problem out there was how do we support how do we ensure their girls go through some dignity, you know, when they're having their menstrual days. And that was really uh, a hit on me because it reminded me of my growing up. My all, since I started my, uh, when I got to adolescent stage at around nine years, I didn't have a sanitary pad to use. We used to cut blankets, old cloths. And that was Because we didn't have an option. You know, your parent provides food and that's all. You go back asking them for money. They tell you they don't have. But because we wanted to, you know, you still want to go to school, we had to find a solution. And it reminded me of what I went through. Every time I talk to girls in each family, they tell me the same thing, that sometimes they miss school. Sometimes they are afraid of going to school without the sanitary part and they, they just sit back home and tell their teachers and tell everybody they, if they're asked why i are not in school, they say they're sick. And it's not a sickness, actually. It's only that they're lacking something that they cannot even explain to the world what they're missing. And the only thing they do is say they're sick and they stay home for three, four days every month because of lack of supplies they need.
1: Yes, and, and you know, I think this is something that You know, women in the United States just take for granted it never would have dawned on us what it would have been like to have had to go through a period without sanitary napkins, tampons, anything, without, you know, even tissues. And so one, there's the idea that there isn't money for it because food is considered more important than it is. And two, that they couldn't talk about it i understand this is kind of a taboo Mm. that well you know in in some extent i guess it is here too but not Mm. as much as it is there i understand this is like a forbidden topic exactly i will tell you with experience that most
0: of the fathers i've talked to at this moment sometimes they wonder why i'm even speaking about that and Uh, I'll tell you of a story what happened uh, sometimes back when I was driving back to my house and I gave a ride to a man who was an old guy and I was wearing my days for girls t-shirt and uh, this guy asked me what is days for girls all about Uh, how comes it's only saying days for girls not for boys so I was uh, surprised and I was like okay yes let's go for it I explained to him what days for girls is what we do and for us we talk about menstrual hygiene aspects. and um, we talked for a while at some point he asked himself he had three daughters who had gone through high school and he cannot remember even a single day being asked by the daughters for money to go buy sanitary pads because every time they go for shopping they write the rest of the items they need he gives money to them to buy food, everything else. But he's never seen even sanitary pad on a list. And the main issue once we, when we finalized that discussion was that there is that stigma. The girls couldn't talk to their father about it. And yet he's the one who gives money. He's the one who works. The mother doesn't work. So he's the one who gives money for everything you need. And from that point, he said, I'm going home and ask, to ask my daughters and my wife how they've been able to survive all this time. Because I told him so many girls out there are opting to ask money from boyfriends and other people who will actually take advantage from them, they need something in exchange. Because as fathers we've decided this is a no go on, this is something we're not going to talk about. And he was shocked because he couldn't believe that could have happened to his daughters. And yet he was in a position to only that there was no communication. So yes, there's a lot of stigma surrounding menstruation,
1: and and it sounds like in, and even his wife couldn't talk to oh, him yes. about it. Oh yeah, oh yes. You know, could the daughters even talk to their mother about it? I mean, do do the girls know what to expect? I, you know, we have these programs in our schools where the whole process is explained to girls when they're still in elementary, so they'll be prepared. Do they have that in Kenya?
0: Initially, we should be having, we call it sex education, at some point in your primary uh, level. Normally, uh, if you look at our syllabus, Kenyan syllabus, at around sixth grade, seventh grade, they should be introduced to uh, sex education. But uh, because of the stigma also, the teachers have have kind of uh, been skeptical. They they kind of don't even train. I remember I went through the primary school and nobody taught me about it. My first period, I was not aware what was going on with my body. I thought I was dying because you're bleeding and you have no idea what's going on. And this is something that uh, there's been a lot of ignorance. And I think the stigma is kind of uh, pushing everything on the side. So the parent assumes that the teacher will teach their daughters and the teachers also assumes the parent will, will inform their daughters. So there's a lot of assumptions surrounding it. And now the girls are left in the middle, not knowing what's really happening.
1: So unless a friendly older sister or friend, the girls will have no idea why suddenly they start bleeding. Oh, that could be so traumatic.
0: Yeah, and that uh, brings us to uh, an incident that happened in Kenya, in Bomet, last year, September, where uh, a girl committed suicide uh, because of menstrual shame, and this happened when she was in school. So this girl was in school at around 10 o'clock. Um, she started uh, menstruation. And this was her first time of menstrual of menstruation. She didn't know what was happening. So when that happened, uh, she soiled her dress. And they were seated in class of both boys and girls. So the teacher was in class teaching at that time. And uh, I think they were supposed to uh, understand, they were told uh, to do some things. And this a girl with some other students didn't have pencils to use and they were told to go to the to stand up and go to the next class and borrow pencils to, to come and use to write some drawings. I think they were supposed to do some drawings. So everybody stood up that didn't have what they needed except this girl called Jacqueline. She, she was called Jacqueline. So this girl didn't stand up at that point. She remained seated and the teacher kept on insisting, "Why are you seated and you don't have your pencil? Can you go to the next class and borrow?" But this girl knew what had happened. She felt something was amiss in her dress. she was all wet, but she couldn't even explain this to the teacher, even to call the teacher and tell her what was going on. So she remained seated until the teacher kind of got outside. Um, uh, uh, she was uh, wondering why and trying to just push her to keep uh, to stand up and she finally did that. So when she did that, the whole class, the students who are seated, saw what had happened. So just going through that shame, didn't, that didn't go well with her. So she went straight home uh, and met her mom and told the mother, uh, the mother told her, why are you home early? It's till morning, why are you home? And she said, uh, this happened to my dress and uh, the teacher told me to go home. So the man told her, that it's okay, that is normal. You will be experiencing that every month. Just uh, check out your clothes, go wash them and come back because they normally go to the river to wash clothes. So go to the river, wash clothes and come back. I'll explain to you what is happening. This girl uh, instead decided I don't know, she didn't talk to anybody after that point. She just took her up, went to the river, hung herself in a tree,
1: and that was all. Wow, that's heartbreaking. And so, and I understand that Days for Girls provides that education and that training.
0: Yes, yeah, so as Days for Girls, um, we do provide um, training, we take the girls through the women reproductive system, just helping them to understand what happens with our bodies. Why are you bleeding? We start with the puberty also just trying to them, uh, you know, introducing them to what happens from childhood. You go to puberty, you go to adolescence, you know, just taking them through the whole process because once these girls are informed and they know that menstruation is a natural process, Even if something happens out there, they'll stand for themselves and say, this is okay. It's just, uh, you know, that I didn't get this today, but it is fine, you know, because they know why that is happening. So what we are doing is to break that silence surrounding the whole thing and say, hey, girls, let's be proud of our menstruation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That means they can be mothers. They can become mothers. Yes. Yes. And and I and then I understand too that uh, girls would miss school because they wouldn't go to school when they were having their period or they would drop out. You said when you were growing up it was the habit to just marry them off at an early age. Yes. So
0: uh, so what 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 actually happens when uh, because now you are in a situation whereby you don't have the supplies that you need. You don't have the information that you need actually that what is happening with you is okay. So most girls, that is where they drop out of school because they will find someone, mostly men take advantage at this point that I'm going to buy you the sanitary parts. They give them money, but in uh, exchange, they have sex with them. Mostly that's the biggest issue right now. So um, sex in exchange of parts, which in late later on brings uh, teenage pregnancies. Once they're pregnant, they miss school. They they stay home, they become young mothers. Some stay home and every if you're missing school every month for three days, by end of the year you're actually behind and they don't do well in school. At the end of the day they don't feel they don't see the reason why they're even going to school because they they lack that motivation because every other month you have to stay home and yet everybody else all the boys are still going to school and they are being taught so it's it's something that brings a lot of ta- long-term effects in even in their performance in education and that's why every every time we go to a school and there's a lot of issues with lack of sanitary supplies you will find that in the graph our girls are always the bottom line because their performance they miss school and they perform so poorly and when we come in and say hey we want to hold your hands as girls we provide them with the education they need we provide them with the reusable sanitary parts that these four girls make and that girl is sure of attending school for three years when you go back in a year or two you see a lot of girls coming on top of to her performance because they have been To actually
2: attend school it's really hard that's why i just stepped out to volunteer to do humanitarian because it's my passion too i i i feel good when i'm serving people when i see them smile when i see that smile and when i just hear that word thank you i know humanitarian sometimes it has a lot of challenges but i thank god he's getting through is getting me through this. And I uh, I am happy I am serving here. I am your ambassador here. You friends, you are trusting me with your sources.
1: You are sending me out to serve these amazing people of God. Yes. And there are things that we just take for granted in the United States. We just, we don't even think about them. And yet they're in critical need, you know, just, just having enough food. You know, we, we've been affected here, but we've never had to worry about food. There's still plenty of food. And, and, and like you said, those feminine sanitary supplies that we just don't even think about, we take for granted, become a, a critical need. So I'm glad you're bringing awareness of that, and you're doing so much to reach as many people as possible. Thank you. And then uh, not, re-
2: not not forgetting women in my community. I'm planning if I get resources, I need to um, uh, set for them sustainable projects. I actually don't believe in handouts. I want them to be independent. I don't want them to be just uh, asking for me food on daily basis or on weekly basis. I want to set them sustainable projects will be, will, which will help them to be independent. Not forgetting my little children in my goosey community. You know, I come across a lot of children who are very needy. You can even check out from my pictures. Sometimes I can do some clothes for them. They are really in dire need. They walk in tattered clothes. They don't even have shoes. Actually, the needs are day in, day out. As I go out, I get a lot of needs. It is overwhelming here, ma'am. And uh, there is something I don't want to forget. Remember here, I come from a Kisi community which is sung in uh, just baseless taboos and culture. Here we have what we call FGM and I'm very sorry to say that I am uh, a culprit of that. But I say this one is not going to stop me. I am here, I am campaigning for Kisi community to stop this cut. It is very painful and it's causing a lot of harm to our young girls. So I'm appealing or I'm calling upon friends to step up and support me in this campaign. This is a support that should come to an end. It is very painful and it can even lead to death because of excessive pleading. And I made a decision and I think I just put it public that I have a little girl who is four years old. She's called Barbara and she's not going to go through
1: that cut. For people who don't know, FGM stands for female genital mutilation. And you said it's, a, it's like it's part of the culture. It's been outlawed in Kenya, but because it's such a strong part of the culture, it still continues. I, I know a little bit about it. I understand that this is not a, a procedure that's done, in a sanitary, safe manner. And so quite often, girls are severely injured, maimed for life. And the only way to combat this is through education. And it's my understanding that that's your goal, is to get this education out. It's wrong.
2: Wrong. Very wrong. I condemn it.
1: Yes. You have decided. already decided your daughter's not going through that.
2: Yeah, my daughter is my not going to go through that. I'm actually, even, I'm actually even going around campaigning and saying no, and whoever will be found doing it, uh, she will be taken to court and charged. You know, they are just doing it secretly. The government of Kenya does not allow that. And uh, other communities are not practicing it. It's, it's only the Kis community. Some of the communities in, in actually Kenya. The other communities does not do it. It is a tapo It's a culture that has to come to an
1: end. So you're educating the parents to not let this happen to their daughters.
2: Yeah, that, that's what I'm exactly doing. I am doing with the women and even the girls. I am gathering them and I'm educating them the disadvantages of doing this. It is bad. It can lead even to death. And whoever is found doing that you will be taken horror you will be taken to court
1: yes that is not easy to do when you have traditions that people feel or this is absolutely right this is what we must do but the best way to do it is through education and you're a teacher so you are good at that <laughs> Yes, I am a teacher and I'm proud to be one. Actually,
2: even the people in our community, they are so proud of me. And I'm here to do the best for them. I am here to see the best for every girl.
1: Mention what your daughter's doing. I'm, I'm impressed. It sounds like she's following to be just like her dad.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. My daughter, when she was eight years old. He approached me and asked me to let her know what is this thing called the cat. Here in Africa, especially in my community, the Gusi people and another one called the Kalenjin, the Kuria people and the Maasai, they practice female genital nutrition for women or young girls. So she reached out to me and said, I need information to know what this is all about. So I told her and she said that, you know what, I'm not going to do it. It's a cultural practice that is outdone, but uh, it's being practiced underground and it's causing more harm to young ladies than good. So uh, as a social worker and a life coach, I've done a lot of research on uh, FGM and I said no as well some time back. And uh, I've, been, I've been the voice for young women going through meetings and saying, and, and advocating for the stop of FGM. So my daughter said no to FGM, and she said no to the cat. And years later in high school, in primary school, she could go to speak to girls and tell them this is wrong, it's gonna do you more harm than good. And he was branded an FGM ambassador. So right now, at the age of 14, she's going uh, to girls almost her age and even beyond up to 18, telling them about FGM and why they should not do it. And also, she's involved with doing Feminine hygiene, training girls in her school. And when she's home, she meets so many cousins and relatives and friends, and she talks about it. And lately, I started introducing her to formal training, whereby she can be able to speak about it. And she appeared on the national TV last week for the first time speaking about FTM.
1: Wow. That is amazing. At 14. That's wonderful. Thank you. Tell us more about your food relief provider. So what is... You know, and I, I think all around the world we felt the effi- effects of COVID. But what it has been, what has it been like in Kenya?
3: Okay, since the start of uh, COVID-19, the pandemic actually rendered many families uh, jobless. They lost their jobs in many numbers, and uh, others families are struggling to put uh, food on the table for their families, and I've seen young children. Starving because they don't have anything to eat, and the situation became so horrible. Then I thought of something. I can be able to uh, become the voice for the voiceless. There is a lot of need here. So many don't have enough food, including my own mother. But I decided I will choose and narrow down for those that are very needy and will not if they cannot be helped, they may die. So I went down and started voicing and highlighting cases in the villages, even as far as 90 miles from where I am. And then I highlight their case. I look for friends. I go to the social media platform. I look for, for the local uh, news agencies, the media people, and we highlight their cases and help us in coming. So since the start of uh, the pandemic, I've been able to reach out to the disabled or the specially challenged people in in among, amongst our community and also the widowed including the older generation the last one of the cases I can remember vividly I've done I've done so many I've done 237 cases that are provided with food for a week since the start of the pandemic and uh, some of the cases are extreme, like an 115-year-old woman who, was, uh, who is blind, widowed, and living in abject poverty and used as an open toilet uh, uh, to relieve herself. That was not okay. So I was able to help build a, a latrine, which is now okay and which gives her dignity. Another woman is a, a widowed woman who was a specially challenged child and uh, lived in a very horrible condition. The house was leaking, glass leaking all over. You can see inside out from, uh, even from outside you can be able to see a house and what's inside there. So I fundraised money, we were able to build a house, an iron uh, sheet house and made of um, iron and sticks and the soil and uh, doors, and windows which is now a nice one a three bedroom house she has a house and a latrine and i recently started a a vegetable garden project for her and three women near her home so she's gonna be having her own vegetables from our own garden so that is empowering the woman and i'm so passionate about it because for one i'm a product of a woman i was born out of a woman my mother then later on, I married a, a lady. That's number two reason I'm so passionate about serving and helping women. And then number three, I'm blessed to, uh, to become a beautiful father of so, a daughter. So those three reasons uh, make me wake up every day to serve women because they make me who I am today.
1: That's beautiful. That is absolutely wonderful. Now, you have also come up with some really effective ideas on how you can help, not just right now, but long-term. Can you talk about those projects? You called them sustainable projects?
3: Yes. Okay, food relief came as a result of the pandemic because in strange times, desperate moments calls for desperate uh, answers. So that's why we came, I came up with a food relief to help those that are vulnerable, poor, needy and sick. But uh, what is the way forward? The way forward is to, uh, I thought of doing something sustainable that can be able to, pro- to, to produce or provide money for them and be able to provide resources for them. So one of the things that I do uh, I'm so much passionate about is helping women and youth in the villages have their own vegetable gardens because every family has a piece of land that they can be able to do vegetables. So it's one way of reducing malnutrition as well It's another way of also helping families become independent and also make extra money out of their vegetables and also become committed and uh, reduce cases of laxity. And at the same time, we can be able to do something on our land to reduce irrigation that is taking away the good soil. So, for on vegetable garden, I fence a piece of land. Probably, uh, we can talk about twenty by twenty feet with a fence, chicken wire fence. Then uh, I I make boxes. Uh, that is a uh, eight feet by four feet. I make boxes. And then uh, I get a string and divide the boxes into one square feet on the boxes. Then I fill with soil in there. I mix it with manure or without, if the soil is good enough. I mostly work with long soil. Then I I plant uh, seedlings on the boxes. So each uh, lady, where is supposed to have one box of mixed vegetables, ranging from carrots, uh, carrots, onions, tomatoes, cows, uh spinach, and lettuce, something like that. So, and then another corner will have a vegetable tower. A vegetable tower is a stack that is filled with soil that has got uh, our, our seedlings. Planted into the stack all over round, making it look like a big tree that is growing from every side. So that is another way that I can we can be able to create a garden project that can produce vegetables enough for a family of even up to fifteen, and an extra one that can be sold uh, for a dollar. And then at the end of the month, the this uh, thing single lady will be able to have a minimum of $30 income coming in at the same time they have their own vegetables. So, number one, uh, we do what we call putting the skin into the game. The women have to participate. And on the other hand, my part is to help them get the seedlings, get the tools, and get the chicken. I mean the chicken uh, wire fence, which we can use to protect the, the garden from intruders like cows, sheep, and goats and chickens. They have to be outside. So that is my part. And then also my other part is to train them on planting, on cleaning, on pruning, on weeding, on spraying of pesticides when and amount that is needed. So after the training, I will also, I believe that their part is to take care of the garden so that by themselves, so that they can be able to learn how to do it by themselves. And then the last part is after they have successfully started their own vegetable garden, I ask them to also teach another woman next door or neighbor to do the same thing so that we can cause a ripple effect. So if I do 100, I expect them also to do 100 each. So if that happens, we can be able to do it uh, to many people because we are teaching them to teach others and others to teach others. By the end of maybe 50 years, even when we are not there, or 100 years, we will be able to reduce the cases of malnutrition and solve a problem of of poverty in Africa. That is one of the models that I'm passionate about.
1: I, I love it, I love it.
3: Then another project that I'm passionate about is uh, we can fundraise. My dream is to fundraise, we've done it before and I wish to do it again and again with friends who are like-minded. We can fundraise goats and chicken. So here, one chicken is uh, ten dollars. So if we donate ten chicken to a group of ten women, so these ten women come together, so that we can teach them on how they can work together as a group, as a team, and raise ten chicken in one family. They have to come, keep on coming to this family and again until the project matures. So if you give them ten chicken to ten women, or five women to Again, it's 10 chicken. They will take care of the 10 chicken. After a period of time, the 10 chicken will lay eggs and brood and have chicks. So when they have chicks, they will divide the chicks among themselves and they are on their own. So that that means uh, out of 10 chicken, we can be able to have another 10 chicken from one chicken at the end of one year. So in five years, The chickens would be so many to a level that they can be able to sell the chicken and buy goats and from goats buy cows. And cows here provide milk, manure, and the milk can be sold for school fees and can be also used to reduce malnutrition because it's healthy for children and everyone, of course. And the most important thing, they can sell the calves, the extra calves, for school fees, so it's planning ahead for their children and their education, which will transform the entire family in years to come. And uh, one thing I can tell our people out there: we are all the same—black, white, red, green, yellow, whatever color we are. Tall, short—we are God's children. We are the same. And you can be able to starve. It, make it a priority to starve someone near you. It doesn't have to be Africa doesn't have to be asia it doesn't have to be another state near you be of service to someone make someone's life better by so doing we will make this world a better place i know we will change the world the world will never change itself it's me and you who have the change that we need
0: we have just concluded another episode of in supportive families if you enjoyed the show and found it valuable We appreciate you leaving us a review or recommending us to your friends. For more helpful resources, visit our website at insupportoffamilies.com. Join us again next week, and thanks for listening.